Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 2, Episode 11, The Marriage Analogy, Romans 7, verses 1 to 6. Something radical and essential happens in our relationship with God the, the moment we become Christians way more than we could ever really kind of imagine or think about when we first trusted Christ. But something amazing happens, and that is exactly what we're going to look at today as we look at the marriage analogy of Romans 7, 1 to 6, this episode. Hey there, everybody. My name is Pastor Steve Treichler, Hope Community Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Hope everybody's doing well. I uh, record these podcasts about a week early or so, and I know that tonight, if you're getting this podcast, tonight will be the national championship game. And uh, I was really, really, really rooting for St. Peter's to be in that final game, but obviously they hit a buzzsaw with North Carolina, and... Uh, <laughs> And uh, let's just say that the Cinderella story turned into a pumpkin. Uh, they uh, they did great. I was very proud of them for a small school and all that kind of a deal. Really fun. We just love the NCAA tournament here in the Tricler household. And so it has been really fun to be down here in my uh, my man cave, in my basement, my what I call my multi-dollar studio, where I record these episodes for you uh, each week. And it's a joy to do so. Remember this season, where first, before we get into Romans, we're just kind of doing a little kind of framing of some theological terms. We've been looking and we will continue to look for a few weeks here, almost to the end of this season. We're looking at a Latin phrase called ordo salutis. O-R-D-O, new word, S-A-L-U-T-I-S. And it is, it basically means the the order of salvation or how salvation comes uh, about for us. And so we have, we've looked at things like predestination, uh, the gospel call, how the gospel is proclaimed, that there's regeneration done by God to make us alive even when we were dead in transgressions. An absolutely beautiful, beautiful doctrine. And this week, we're going to look at the fourth part of this order of salvation, which is conversion, faith and repentance. And let me quote from um, uh, Wayne Grudem. I think he's very helpful here. He says, we may define conversion as follows. Conversion is our willing response to the gospel call in which we sincerely repent of sins and place our trust in Christ for salvation. The word conversion means turning. Here it represents a spiritual turn, a turning from sin to Christ. The turning from sin is called repentance, and the turning to Christ is called faith. Unquote. So I think that's very, very helpful. I think that definition is fantastic. Uh, and again, it leaves a huge mystery there, which we, we actually love in this mystery of conversion, which it says a willing response. Willing means I have a choice and I choose Christ. Now, you might be saying, wait a minute now, if, if, if the gospel's proclaimed and God regenerates our hearts, then we really don't have a choice here. We're, we're, you know, I'm, 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 I come quote unquote kicking and screaming to Jesus, even though I didn't want to. I come to him. And, and I would say, I don't think you're looking at it the correct way. I think here what, what's happening is God opens our eyes to the beauty of him. So that's what he does. 
And then we can see him and the gospel, and it's that it's so beautiful. I mean, why, why wouldn't you choose it, right? But also, there's all these other options out there for us to choose. And because of the beauty of the gospel, we come and we say yes to Christ. Because it's kind of like saying to someone, uh, I've given you a taste of one of Trike's ribeye sous-vide steaks. And it is glorious. I'm not, I'm not bragging. It's not bragging if it's true, Babe Ruth said, right? My steaks are amazing. And if I gave you a taste of it, and then, and then you, get, you see this, and then you say, what would you like to have for dinner? Well, you've seen the excellency. God opens your eyes, or I have opened your eyes in this case, to the beauty of this steak, and you, you eat the steak. Sorry if anybody's a vegan out there. You'll have to think your own analogy here, but it works for me. So in other words, conversion is not a force thing where God just forces you to come after him. Not at all. It's something where we respond to the beauty of Christ and we willingly, and then we do two things. It's called uh, repent and believe or have faith. Repentance basically means those things that I was holding on to for life, those things that define me. My you know, we talk, look at Romans 1, it said, we've exchanged creator for creation. All the created things that I am worshiping and holding dear, trying to fill that God-shaped hole in my heart, although I'm repenting of that. Some of them are not bad things and they don't need to leave my life, but they do need to leave the God spot. Only one, one thing, one, and I mean capital thing, capital T, one object in all of the world is meant to fill that, and that's God himself. And through Christ, then I can come and say, Christ, I want you to fill that spot. You take that spot. That's repentance. And then faith means I turn now and I grab onto, I hold onto Jesus. It's, I often, if I'm, it's a visual here, I'm hold on to something like the back of a chair and I let go of it and then I grab something new. And if I'm on stage, I often grab my podium or the well, music stand that I use for a podium. And then I say, hang on to something new. And that's what conversion is. It's a turning from this one thing to another thing. That's the beauty. It's a beautiful part of the order of salvation, the ordo salutis, and I, I commend it just to think about how beautiful conversion actually is. Now, let's get into Romans. This week, we got a doozy of a passage. Let me read it, um, and then we will uh, head deep right into it. It says, Romans 7, verses 1 to 6. Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But... If her husband dies, she's released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So, my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who raised, who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying, to once, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way 
of the written code. All right, we are going to earn our money today. Uh, whatever you paid for this podcast, you're gonna you're gonna get your money's worth today. All right, I know you're, nobody paid anything, but <laughs> you're gonna get your money's worth. And let me tell you, we're also gonna we're also gonna earn our name today because this passage is incredible. And I, I, one of my goals in all this is to say, you can do this. You can read Romans. And it is true. And you're going to see quite simply that these six verses are some of the most complicated in the book of Romans. And yet, you can do this. You can find the main point. And I'm going to show you that here in just a second. If you have a Bible open with you, it's going to be super helpful today because we're going to be bouncing around here a little bit. Okay, so you can do that, but, not but, and we're going to take the extra time to untangle this because you know what? This one, this passage, probably in Romans, is the one that causes most biblical scholars to scratch their head more than any others, okay? And so we're going to take some time to untangle it, and you're going to see the amazing beauty in this passage. However, with that said, you can get the main point just by reading it. And here, here we go. Let's take, take a look at this one more time. The main point of this, the big idea, okay, you need to see this, is verses one, and then it's reiterated in verse four, okay? Let me just, if you, in case you're driving or you can't look at a Bible, let me read them for you again. Verse one, do you not know brothers and sisters, or another way of saying this, are, are you ignorant? And, and again, he's, he's basically saying, don't you know, brothers and sisters, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And then he's going to give an example. It's a marriage example, right? In verses two and three, skip those just for a minute. We're going to go to verse four and look at the application. So that'll help us to understand this analogy, right? The application says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who is raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. Okay, so that's the point. That's the big idea. You have died to the authority of the law in your life, and it no longer contains this possession of you, or it says bound, right? You're not bound by it any longer in your relationship with God. Therefore, we are now free to bear fruit for God. That's radical. Let me quote from a commentary that's new, and I've just had an opportunity to read parts of it, and I like it. I, you know, I think there's some incomplete parts of it, but it's not meant to be a super scholarly commentary. I think he does a great job. It's by Daniel, uh, D-O-R-I-A-N-I. I don't know this gentleman. Uh, I'm just going to, Doriani, I believe is the way we'd say it on the Iron Range. It sounds like an Italian name. Uh, he says this, Romans 7.1 states the obvious. The dead have no duties or obligations. Moreover, the wife of a dead man has no obligations to her former husband, right? And so then he quotes for, for he quotes from uh, uh, verses 7-2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Release translates, uh, and he quotes the Greek word here, it's katagargeo, which means to annul, 
discharge or release. You know, like a like you are discharging a patient or you're annulling something. People think of annulling a marriage if you were in the Catholic Church. It means it didn't exist or releasing a prisoner from from prison. You are it's no longer under the authority of that. He goes on then to talk about how this word, it's called the perfect tense, which just means that the, the tense of the verb means it's it's past, present, and future all in one sense. It's it's continuing on that it says that the suggests that the widow is forever free of her marital bonds. That's the big idea. Okay. You can get it. That's it. That's the big idea. And he's doing this right in the middle of a beautiful section in chapter six, where we looked at, uh, you know, the first uh, 14 verses of chapter six, where it talked about a beautiful section about how do we, you know, why do we, uh, why not just go on sinning so the grace would increase? And we say that's, we had this, this method and you can go back to listen to that podcast. Then we followed up with last week's where we said, what then shall we, this is verse 15 of chapter six, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? And he says, no, you will be a slave to that one. And we talked about that last week. And then this week, he's going to go back after this concept of law. And he's going to say, the law doesn't have authority over you anymore. You're not bound by it. Okay. Now, with that said, um, we are looking at the idea here of this phrase, the law, all right? And so the law is a bit of a confusing phrase because it's used in Scripture in a variety of ways, right? When we talk about capital L law, we are talking about the law of the Old Testament. Usually when we're talking about lowercase l law, we're talking about Romans one thirty-two. If you have to go way back in that podcast from episode one, but Romans one thirty-two highlights this idea that all people know, conscience-wise, or they just know this idea of what they ought to do and what they should not do, and they still choose what they should not do. If when we did that episode, we looked back and said this actually comes from and is the knowledge of good and evil that Adam and Eve received when they ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So now, if you look at this concept of law, though, and you look at how it's explicitly talked about the Old Testament law, or the capital L law, in the Bible, there are at least seven, and I, I call these my top seven because I don't. it's not necessarily an exhaustive list, even though I've been working on this for many years. I think these are the top biblically top seven biblically stated purposes of the law. So the first one is the law was a national charter for the people of Israel to be set apart as a nation. Okay. They had food laws, Sabbath keeping, how to grow crops, all that kind of stuff, right? Number two though, and this is the key one, it was a means to obtain and maintain yourself in the Abrahamic promises of land, of blessing, of being the people of God. Uh, it was also a means to regain the inheritance if you lost it, okay? And so this is what Paul's mostly leaning into. The other four are a very important things. We learn about these in the New Testament as well, about what the purposes of the law was. Uh, in Galatians 3 and Romans 3, we learned that the law was given so that it was cl- it clearly defined sin. So uh, when when God explicitly says something, now it's clear that we'll see it. 
Not only that, but we looked at in Romans 5 that it actually increases sin. Because when you, in Romans 5, when we did that podcast, we looked at that the law was added so the transgressions would increase, right? So it, it actually makes, when you start to put these things, it becomes that the hole gets deeper for us to have to dig out of. And therefore we scream, we need a savior, which is my, my next one, the fifth one, which is to point us to Christ and that we need a savior. Galatians 3, 19 to 26 talks about that. And then in the book of Hebrews, it talks about the law was a foreshadow about Christ's sacrifice. And this especially is talking about the law with its regard to temple sacrifices and all of that, what, all the things you had to go through in order to, in order to maintain being in the promise. The one that is mostly in the Psalms, you'll see it in Psalm 19, Psalm 119, all over the place, is what the law also is, is it shows the ways of God. Not, not so much as, like, if I obey them, I'm in, and if I don't, I'm out. But if you read the psalmist, it's talking about a delight in following these things. In other words, there's the ways of God, and if I, if I put myself in those ways then I, I have satisfaction. I have joy. There's all these different phrases that are used about that. What Paul is talking about here when he says you've died to the law is he is saying that you have died to the obtain or maintain. In other words, just like uh, David, excuse me, Daniel said in his commentary, the dead have no duties, and this is the key phrase, obligations. So you don't have an obligation anymore to, 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 to follow the God's laws. You don't. Now, we'll get this, the rest of this passage and the rest of Romans here is going to talk about, well, why then follow God's laws? And we've already kind of touched on that. We're going to keep touching on it. But it's not based on any longer an obligation or a fear. It's, it's different now. Okay? So that's your main point. We got that. Now, like I said, though, the beauty is in untangling this thing. And so uh, I'm going to do my best to keep this to half an hour today, but this is a little bit complicated. Here's the analogy. All right. You ready for this? Verse two. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he's alive. But if her husband dies, she, she's released from that law that binds her to him. So then, and to paraphrase this, if she marries another man or has, if she, if she commits sexual, has sexual relations with another man while her husband's alive, then that's called being an adulteress, right? I mean, you, you're, you can't do that, right? That's an affair. That's not correct. But if her husband dies, she's going to do the same action. She's going to be committed to another man, but it's not adultery now if she's committed to someone else, okay? So you're like, okay. And this is this is this is what really makes you think because the point is actually quite simple. The analogy, it's complicated, no no question about it. And commentators have said, okay, let me try to understand this. So you've got a husband and a wife, and they say they're just just if you think of it, I often do this by drawing on a whiteboard. You've got the the husband on one side and the wife on the other side, and you have the law of marriage in between them, and they're they're that holds them together. Right, but if the husband dies, there's no longer obviously a a a covenant, so the woman is free. Right, she's now free, and that sounds like it's really going to fit well. Except, look at verses four and five. 
Well, just look at verse four. That helps. That helps enough. It says, so my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. So it sounds like in the analogy, we're the woman, right? Because we're going to be, we need to be set free. We're set free from, we're not bound by this law anymore. So it sounds like we're the woman in the analogy. And therefore, uh, we have been set free from that law because our husband died. Problem with this is it says you died. Well, how did I die? And then how's a dead person going to be bound to someone else, right? And he, he repeats that in the last verse. He says, but now by dying, to what's, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code, which was just fear and you better do this or else, right? Commentators have just scratched their heads on this one. I mean, uh, Douglas Moo, who I highly, highly recommend, he, he basically says, uh, this analogy doesn't really work. Uh, let me quote what he says here on page 439 of his large new comment. It's his, it's his second edition of his commentary on the book of Romans. He says, Paul's point is clear enough, but problems arise when we seek to relate the point to the conclusion in verse four. If we assume that the details of the illustration in verses two and three are parallel to the application in verse four, then the first husband must represent the law, the second husband, Christ, and the woman, the Christian. Why then does Paul have the first husband dying in the illustration and the Christian, that is the woman, in the application? Interpreters have resorted to a number of alternatives in order to fit together the details of the illustration with its application. The most likely takes the wife in the illustration as the true self, the first husband as the old man, and the second husband as Christ. And that's actually where we're going to go. I'm going to go out. Not quite exactly how he said it there, but I'm going to say that's the way this does work. Probably then Paul does not intend us to find significance in the details of verses 2 and 3. Verses 2 and 3 make a single point. Death severs relationship to the law. The verse illustrates verse 1 as a preparation for verse 4. Okay? <laughs> so he's saying, basically, let's not, lose the, let's not lose the main point here, and that's verses 1 and verse 4. But 2 and 3 really don't help, is what Douglas Moo, scholar, very wise guy, very smart, that's what he says. Now, I want to give you what he says, the most likely one, and I'm going to do it a little bit different. And I want you to, to if you have your Bible open with you, I, I want you to look at some of the important language here in this passage, okay? So I want you to look, again, remember the big idea is that you've been released from the law. And how did you get released from the law? Well, it was by death, right? As long as a person lives, then they're, they're, they're there. But if... So there's death that happens. So now, the question is, who died to end our bondage to law? That's a theological question, not necessarily from the passage, although I think it is in the passage. Well, who, who the, the, Romans 6 has been clear about this. Who died? Well, Christ died, right? Who, and then it says, who was raised from the dead? To, uh, verse, this is verse 4. To him who was raised from the dead is the one that we get to belong to now is we get to belong to Christ. So let me just propose it this way. What if in actuality, 
the analogy is not husband on one side, wife on the other side, and the law of marriage holds us together. What if the husband and the wife are both on the same side? Then you have the law of marriage that holds them together, and then that covenants them. It's like a circle, like a barbell, kind of like you've got husband and wife in one circle, and you've got this law of marriage that binds them together, and that covenant is actually with God. So you can't break that covenant without, you know, in this case, he's saying you can't you can't just, you know, she one of those, they have, if they die, it breaks the covenant, right? So that's what goes on in here. Now look at the passage. He, he says, he says, the sin, I want you to look at um, verse five. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, verse six, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. Okay. So if using that analogy then, it's basically saying that if the husband and wife are on, on one side, then in, the new, in this analogy that we have with Christ, Christ and us are on one, one circle, okay? And what holds us to, to God in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the flesh, in, this, in, the, in, the, in the old covenant, in the old creation, right? In the, when we were under law, then Christ and us are together. I'll explain that in just a minute. There's this law, and that's how we relate it to God. Now, listen, when you start to look at it this way, there's passages in the New Testament that start to come alive. Let me give you one of them. Galatians 4.4. 4. Galatians 4.4 4 is this amazing passage, and it says, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship or that we might become heirs. Now, I know we're mixing we're mixing analogies here. That's from a different passage, and that's talking about becoming an heir, and this is talking about a marriage, so I, I don't want to get that. But look at what he says here. He says, Christ was born under the law to redeem those who are under the law. The big difference in this marriage or, or, you know, between me and Christ, is that Christ fulfilled the law completely. He does, 100%. Me, not so much, right? I got failures. I got a lot of them. If you want a list, uh, you can email my wife. Uh, I, I got issues. And so the marriage analogy actually is this marriage that I have with Christ before I came to Christ, with all of my sin, Christ dies. He actually fulfills the law, but he dies on my benefit because we are together an entity. See that in Galatians 4.4. Therefore, because the entity has now died, uh, Christ and my marriage, so to speak, in his death, he's like the husband in the analogy. So here I am like the wife in the analogy. And therefore, because my husband died, I'm no longer bound to this, this covenant anymore with God by the law. Now, listen to Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. And that totally makes sense now. Listen to the apostle Paul here says, 
He says, I, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, or I'm going to add here, through obeying the law or doing a bunch of right things, Christ died for nothing. Now look at what he says there. He says, I've actually been crucified with Christ. Well, well, no, you haven't, Paul. What are you, nuts? You weren't on the cross. But yes, you were. Yes, you in Christ, the in Christness is not just us in his resurrection. It's also in his crucifixion. So the marriage analogy here then means we were united with Christ and we're united with him in his death. And therefore that breaks the law because it's been fulfilled completely, 100%. Secondly now, there's a new creation reality. And this is what Paul gets into when we look at the the end of this, where it says, um, but now by, this is verse six, chapter seven, verse six, by now, but now by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The old way was do this and you will live. We don't do it. We're going to die. Guess what? We did die in Christ it's paid for, it's taken care of, we're not bound by it anymore, and there's this new creation reality, the new way of the Spirit, where we can bear fruit. This is living by grace. This is, go back to Romans 6, 14, for sin shall not be our master, because you're not under law, but you're under grace. Okay, so now, I now am still unified with Christ, but I'm unified with the risen Christ. It's a new reality. It's a new reality. I am unified with the risen Christ having at the cross, even though, of course, it happened a couple thousand years before I actually came to faith in Christ, I was in him in a mystical way, just like I'm mystically united with him, like like a marriage, and where his benefit is my benefit. Now, I hope you followed that. That's rough. That's difficult. No question about it. That is untangling uh, some of the difficulties there. Now, I want you just to think about this. The, the whole. Let's just end here by saying, so what? You know, who cares? And that, that actually is where we're we're going to go. And that's why Paul's going to why he dealt with that. Now he's going to talk about what difference does this make? And it's it's it it is huge. But just this, comp, contemplate this idea right here that you're unified with Jesus. You are unified with him in his death, and you're unified with him in his in his resurrection. Now, if you if you don't like what I just said here, and you go, I don't see that in the passage. No, wait. Well, what I just said is Romans six. It's very clear. That's what Paul said in Romans six one to fourteen. We've been unified with him in both those things, and that sets us free from being bound at all by the law. You're free. You're free now, and you are free to do what your heart desires and what your new, the new way of the spirit, the the freedom that we have frees us from the old ways, which trapped us and let us down this, Paul calls it fruits of, of uh, death or, or uh, fruits that lead us to destruction or different things that he will say from, uh, from Romans chapter seven, verse, let me just pop back up here real quick. Romans seven, verse 
uh, five at the end of it, so that we bore fruit for death. Those things weren't life-giving, they were death. And now we have the opportunity to come to faith and to be alive. I hope that this week you just sense that. No matter what your circumstances, no matter what you're going through, that this week you will feel the aliveness you have in Christ and that the law, all of the things that you have to do to make you feel good about yourself in any category, and especially with God, are really for your betterment and your joy, not for your okayness, not for, for you to get any points with God or you to be right with God in any way. But it's because God already's finished it. It's finished at the cross. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished beautifully. Next week, we're going to keep going on in chapter 7, and Paul's going to keep unpacking how important this is and just how this relationship we have with God now is set free from law but is run on something else called grace. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time on Romans Untangled.